And there have been research studies that have shown that people that um, are, I have a, you know, are in a faith community, that they tend to be happier and um, healthier. So, and, uh, you know, report better mental health, but it makes sense because you, um, you have that feeling of connectingness and belonging with other people. Welcome to the Spirit is Lit podcast, a spirit-centered podcast. Join us each week for a conversation on faith, current events, and everything in between. Hey folks, and welcome to the Spirit is Lit podcast. This week we have our on uh, as a guest one of our very own St. Patrick's staff members, Sandy, who is the coordinator of Parish Nurse Ministry. And we talked a lot about, you know, overall health, overall well-being, whether that be, you know, physical, but more specifically, um, mental and emotional health and well-being and how that's all intertwined, um, specifically um, in the midst of a pandemic. So it's a good conversation and enjoy. Sandy, welcome to the Spirit is Lit podcast. Well, hi, Jacob. How are you today? I'm well. Um, so for, for, you know, our listeners, some of them may know you, you, you know, you, you work at St. Pat's, but could you tell a little bit uh, about, you know, who you are, a little about your story and kind of maybe how you, you know, ended up there? How I ended up here? Well, um, I have my, um, well, I'm the parish nurse coordinator at St. Patrick's and uh, my, my job there has mainly uh, been education for different health and mental health issues and also you know, seeing parishioners that um, have are having uh, health issues or health concerns, and then that's pretty much what I do there. You, is that what you mean? I'm. Yeah, yeah, and okay. I guess maybe even like, how did you? Um, would you mind telling a little bit about kind of like your journey and in, in, into this? Well, I know, I know, we've spoken a little bit about. Uh, kind of you have you kind of the, the jobs and things that you've worked over the years that yeah. has lended to being in this spot that you are now? Oh, sure. Well, you know, if you go back, like, how did I ever get into nursing? And, um, you know, it really started when I was in high school. I, I was a candy striker where you worked in the volunteered in the hospital. And um, that, and I remember one time I had to work on a pediatric unit and I met this little girl who had been um, physically abused by her parent. And um, I, which I never knew even existed. So that kind of piqued my interest in being into nursing. And so um, I ended up going into nursing and um, I worked, uh, I worked on a, uh, on a medical surgical unit as one of my first uh, assignments. And I was like, and I thought, oh, this is great because, you know, everybody, will, you know, they'll have surgery, they'll go home and everything will be better. And, but, you know, what? even on the surgical floor, people came back and it was like mental health issues because it was more like the worried well or something. And they, they would go through all these tests. And I thought, well, then there's something more to this. So I ended up um, taking, uh, I ended up more focusing on wellness and went into community health. And I got my uh, master's degree in community health and as a nurse practitioner. And then I went on further and it was like, this isn't enough. <laughs> you know, there, there's still more than this physical piece. Cause you know, at that point I was in, enthralled with the whole me the medical part of it. And so then I ended up getting um, a degree, a master's degree in community 
not in community health, but in uh, counseling. And so kind of, then that kind of puts together for me the whole, the, 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 the physical illness, the wellness piece, and then um, the mental health piece that affects our health. So that's, that was my crazy journey. So how do then, um, how do those two play in, 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 how do those two intermingle, you know, the, the physical health, I guess, in practical, like application, physical health, as well as mental health, how, how within maybe your practice, how those intermingle? Well, what you see is when people are under a lot of stress and um, it, it affects their physical health. And so that, you know, you can have, um, you know, heart disease, um, uh, you see a lot of heart disease with, um, with stress, a lot of stress, or just having physical symptoms that are a manifestation of the stress versus a physical illness. So, you know, you may have heart, your heart beats really fast and your, um, and you may have chest pain, but it's from anxiety. It's not from, it's not from something physical. So that, um, I think when you're able to look at it more holistically that you can, um, work with, uh, work with people to, um, help to ameliorate some of those physical, those physical symptoms that are related to the psychological aspects of, um, of health. Gotcha. So, so if I'm understanding correctly, like looking after or looking into like the whole person, like, so say someone um, like their physical well-being, their emotional, mental well-being. So trying to find kind of the root of that in, in the sense that like, okay, this person has an issue with, you know, their chest. Maybe it isn't just a physical thing. Maybe we need to look into what's going on in their whole being. What's, what, are, what are kind of the practices in terms of their mental health? Exactly. Let me give you an example. Um, uh, for a couple of years, I worked as a, a, a school nurse and there was this, this young kid, he was like in first or second grade and came into uh, in my office and was had a stomach ache and didn't feel good and he wanted to go home. And um, so because I had taken, I was already I'd taken my counseling program, I had him draw a picture of how he felt. And so what he did is he drew a picture and, and he was there and he was, there was a picture of him and he was pretty big in the picture and there were just tears falling down his, um, on his, he was crying. And, and then there were people around him and I asked him to tell me about the picture. And he told me that apparently his grandparent had died and they were all, the family was all at the funeral that day and they had sent him to school. And um, probably because they wanted to protect him. I'm, I'm sure that was it. So we talked about it. He looked at the picture and afterwards his stomach ache was gone. He said he felt better and he went back to class because he was able to talk about what made him sad and that someone was listening to him. Wow. That's, it was so powerful to me. It was like, I am on the right path. Yeah. So, so then uh, my question is like, cause I'm curious, how do you discern or is there a discernment process of um, maybe diagnosing like, okay, does this person maybe just need to talk or does this person need some, you know, mental health um, help or do, or do we go with the route of medicine, some sort, sort of medicine? I don't know. How do you discern that process? Well, um, I don't do the di I don't do diagnosis like that, but <laughs> but the thing is, is that what I think at, for my role now, it's more like you listen, and um, sometimes it's you look at just that they need some different um, practices to help them, uh, personal practices to help them. Sometimes it's like maybe you recommend that they see a physician because you need to rule out. Sometimes you have to rule out the physical 
you can't just say, oh, because they're having chest pain, they're nervous. I mean, they could have a heart attack too. You know, they could have angina so that you want to, um, you have to listen to their story and then you might have, you know, sent, have them go to a, um, a physician. You might even recommend some counseling for them, you know, or, um, or some kind of a support group. Sometimes that's what they need. It just, you have to listen. There's no real definitive, this is exactly what you do. Gotcha, that makes sense. So um, Sandy, you know, um, if, uh, unless, you know, we've been living under a rock, the past 12 months have been very interesting. So I'm wondering if you've seen um, with all this COVID craziness, have you seen any specific mental health issues arising? You know, it's, well, you're seeing a lot, you're right. If you, you had to be living under a rock. I mean, this has totally affected everybody. It's affected everyone's life in some way, more, some more than others. But um, what we've seen overall, and uh, you hear from people and from in reading in the literature, that there's an increased rise in anxiety and depression. And what's been really surprising, everybody thought it would be more in the um, the like over 65 group because they were at the higher risk. But what happened is CDC did a, a, some, uh, a survey and they found out that the highest group was 18 to 24 years old. And what they were seeing is they, um, when they did this survey, uh, this group, like almost 63% were saying they were experiencing some kind of anxiety or depression and they didn't have to have a mental illness. You know, it, it's, this is induced by the, um, the, situ the situation for the last year. Um, and 25% of them reported using more drugs and alcohol to uh, help with the symptoms. And, and there were even like um, about 25% had said they had contemplated suicide. So this has been a real a big issue and we've seen it in the, across the age group. It's not just 18 to 24, but it, they were just surprised at how high that, um, that number was. And um, what they think is that a lot of it has to do with the fact that that particular age, um, young adults are, um, you, when you're starting at 18, you know, they're like, they have all these life uh, experiences, you know, there's the end of high school, graduation, um, wedding, and you get into the a little bit older group, you've got the weddings and uh, senior years in college or high school, and all these things are disrupted so that um, so many of these people, their life is turned upside down and it's, and that, that's they think is what it's causing a lot of this anxiety and depression in addition to being more isolated because of, you know, of the whole social distancing and, um, and not being around the people that you, that you love and want to, and want to spend time with. Do you think, um, is this in line with just loneliness in general? Um, all kind of this anxiety, depression, I mean, social isolation, I, I think. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Do you see loneliness as part of it or no? Oh yeah, I, I really think so. Um, you, um, when I've done some of my um, smaller groups, that's what I'm hearing people say, even uh, at church when, um, when I'm doing uh, support groups and things, that um, loneliness is a really big piece. Um, I think in the 18 to the younger um, adults, probably a lot of them are more out in the public than um, maybe some of the, um, the younger kids and, and the older adults, but it's still, the, your life's not the same. A lot of people are still working, they're working at home so that they have their job, but they're not seeing anybody unless maybe on Zoom, you know, so. Yeah, and it's just that, um, that two-dimensional thing. So, it's, I mean, it's definitely different, but I'm wondering if, um, 
are there any you know practical ways that you know we can combat or work against this these anxieties these depression this loneliness um when we're faced with such situations like this oh i think so you know i did forget one thing that's a big problem with the um the anxiety and depression is the um the consumption of what we get on the media um it's um it's not well still you every time you turn around, there's something about COVID on there. And people get so focused on listening to it every day, and then they might go to multiple sources and they get conflicting information. And that all also increases one's anxiety. So um, some of the things that you can do <clears throat> when you have to stay at home and not see people is, um, well, first of all, limiting your uh, media consumption, both TV, Facebook, um, YouTube, <laughs> Uh, you know, CNN News, Fox News, whatever, M what is it, MS, NBC News, all of those things, you know, you can get all kinds, of, everybody has their different slant. So it's really important to do that. But we do need to maintain social contact in some way. And that can be like by Zoom, it can be Facebook, it can be talking on the phone, um, all, all of those kinds of things to keep your connections with your friends and family. Um, and, you know, there's other COVID safe methods too. I mean, you know, going outside, I know people that go walk with their friends, but they, uh, they walk, maintain social distancing and wear masks. And so you can do that kind of thing. The other thing is, as you are isolated, you have to find things that give you pleasure. Um, maybe you have hobbies, it, it, that kind of thing, you know, so that, um, so that you keep active and also to um, get, get, get sleep. Because one of the things is our schedules disrupted. We, we might have crazy sleep schedules that, but to have that consistent sleep schedule and have an exercise, we know exercise is so good for us. Getting outside, just because we have COVID and have social isolation doesn't mean we can't go outside and get a little sun. And, and that's really important. And then, um, and, and pray. And some people that have spiritual practices they like to do and meditation, um, relaxation techniques, some people journaling helps them. You know, all those things can help us um, to combat the effects of loneliness and maintain our mental health. So what you're saying is totally ringing true for me, at least at the beginning of the pandemic. Cause I, you know, I, I, I remember hitting, being hit with the news of like everything about the coronavirus, like, um, and like there was that, that, uh, that count every day checking like how many cases are there, how many cases are there? And just like with anything, I think it makes sense that, uh, you know, if we, we continually habitually to an extent, check it, check certain things and like check in the news, um, that can be unhealthy. So, um, and, and I think to what you're saying in terms of um, spirituality and faith, how, how could, would you mind maybe diving deeper into that? Like how, how can faith and spirituality play a role in, in mental health? You know, it's really interesting in my job, in the behavioral health, um, I have this behavioral health committee. One of the things was we were before the pandemic hit, we had a whole conference planned on mental health and faith. And um, because it is very important, what we know about faith and spirituality is, is that it gives us a sense of purpose and connectedness in our lives and um, to, sell, to ourselves, to God. And, um, and it gives us more meaning and value in our life. And it's, and it's bigger than us. 
you know, and that's what helps. We, we know that helps. And there have been research studies that have shown that people that um, are, I have a, you know, are in a faith community that they tend to be happier and um, healthier. So, and, uh, you know, report better mental health, but it makes sense because you, um, you have that feeling of connectingness and belonging with other people. And um, one of the important things to remember too is, do you, where do you think that um, people go first when they have mental health concerns? The, the doctor, I don't know. Well, you know what? It's only one in four people um, go to their doctor. Many of them go to their their faith, uh, you know, their their pastor or minister or whatever, uh, before they'll go to a, a healthcare provider. Gotcha. So isn't that interesting? So yeah. that not only is uh, our practicing our faith help our mental health, it's also where we seek. Many people seek out mental health um, interventions, and um, and I, but I think that prayer itself can can make can elicit a feeling of relaxation um, and um, it gives us hope and can and I think in this pandemic time we really need hope it helps us focus on gratitude which when things are bad and we're anxious uh, have, being grateful for what we have really helps and it helps us to give get, helps us to be more compassionate I think to other people yeah yeah, that makes sense too, especially thinking about um, the connections between like being the pastoral and in a holistic sense, caring for that whole person. Um, yeah, I like that. Yeah, so I think it's, it's so important. And I was so excited about having this conference, you know, and then we had to, um, uh, we have to put it on hold. So there you go. Yeah, but it's been really cool too, I think, seeing a lot of these conferences online. Uh, moving to online because I think there's a lot more opportunities for people like let's just in Arizona to experience a conference in New York that we wouldn't have had to you know just yeah, super cool those experiences that's so, that's so interesting because I I did a one this summer um from uh, Yale and it was on permission to uh feel and it was having kids uh well there was it turned out it, his focus is like for kids that they, that you should be able to feel, you know how you say you can't cry because you're a guy or whatever, you know, that, that whole permission, but I would have never been able to go to, um, to Yale and hear this, um, this um, professor's uh, program. Yeah, Mark so, Brackett? Huh? Mark Brackett? Yes, yes. Yeah, I just read a book. It's so good. Oh, I love it. It's, it's so good. Have you ever, have you ever, uh, have you ever heard him? Never he heard him speak. Well, you know, next time I get one, he did, he did a whole book club on his last book. And um, that was that was what I, I, I went to a workshop first and then I did the book club. It was like seven weeks and it was like a class every week. He called it a book club, but it was more teaching. Gotcha. <laughs> but but he, he's a stitch. He, he really is. So if I get any more of that, I'll send you that. Yeah, please. He's I, I like his work. It's really interesting. Um, so, well, so Sandy, what is, um, I guess in talking all, all in terms of, um, spirituality, faith, mental health, what does, uh, resiliency look like in the midst of COVID and mental health? Well, resiliency means that, to me, the ability to adapt to, uh, to what's, to adapt and kind of bounce back and come back 
stronger, well, at least as strong or stronger than you were before. And that's a real challenge sometimes, I think, in, in this COVID time, because, um, you know, we talked about, you know, having gratitude because oftentimes during these times, I think people get more pessimistic. And so um, one of the things with resiliency, there's lots of things that, um, that come into being resilient, but um, with any crisis like the pandemic, um, we're gonna be tested. And um, what we look to, what, when we want resilience, we look to others that we love to help us. We all like our friends and our family to depend on them for emotional support. And all those things I talked about, self-care, you know, eating, sleeping, exercising, uh, praying, um, uh, you know, keeping things under control that you can keep under control. Those are all the things that are gonna help you be resilient. And I kind of looked up one thing just to say they had, there's this, they have these things that you should offer resilience. And I'm, I'm not gonna go through them. It makes a lot of sense because it's what I just said too. It's getting connected. And, and that's more than just with your friends and family. I think even like reaching out and like taking advantage of things that are on Zoom or whatever that uh, they can help you. Like this Mark Brackett thing was, was perfect because it made you help start thinking about how uh, to think about how you feel and where you put it. And he had boxes that you put it in and stuff. So that um, I think you can be connected that way too. And, um, and it's to make everyday meaningful. And that's kind of like, I look at like having a routine so that um, like, a, a, like, you know, that you, you get up at a relatively same time and you have a schedule kind of, I mean, it doesn't have to be rigid, but just kind of have, um, have some kind of a schedule. Cause I think it's really hard, especially if um, you're staying at home, working at home, that that helps you to be more resilient also. And, um, and to always remain hopeful, take care of yourself, and be proactive. If there is a problem, don't avoid the problem. Um, work on the problem. See what you can do to fix it. That makes you uh, more in control. And I think if we feel like we're more in control, I think we can. We're more resilient. So then, would it be safe to say that um, maybe we, within our life, resilient in terms of resiliency, um, within our lives, maybe we construct uh, something that you know some sort of system structure, I guess, that that we have agency over around parts of our day, pieces of our day that, you know, gives us confidence, gives us maybe like a wherewithal so that when certain unexpected things come, like coronavirus, um, whatever within that, with within that um, sort of, I don't know, microcosm of coronavirus hits that, that are unexpected, we'll have that uh, knowledge that we do have agency and we can do certain right. things even when everything everything's not in our control we still have control of that, you, that you have that you have systems in place to be able to um to deal with something that comes along you know it's coronavirus today but it could be something totally different tomorrow and it might be so it might be just how you have to deal with traffic <laughs> i mean you know <laughs> i mean everybody has to deal with traffic yeah. And, um, but you know, what, what are the strategies I can use to deal with that, whatever that issue is? I think coronavirus has been a definite test though, of all, for all of us. Yeah, everyone. Well, what do you think churches are doing particularly well during this time? You know, that's a hard question. I was thinking about that. And I think it really depends on 
we're what where your church is and what they're doing. You know, I guess if you look generally at not saying one specific, but I think that the churches that are trying to reach out and stay connected with their um, their congregations are um, what they're doing well. And it, it may be having uh, church services online. It could be having classes. Uh, it could be, um, um, I was thinking um, my cousin's church, they, they're a small church and they had a, uh, they, they had had yoga classes before um, in place, but that they, they moved them to online. And, um, and, I th and just stay connected with your, their congregation to, to see where they're at. I think at St. Patrick's, one of the things we've done really well is like the, uh, like the calling tree kind of thing where, we're call, where we're call, we call everybody in the parish. We had that whole system going because it lets people know that we know they're out there and that, and we care. I think that's the biggest thing that um, the churches are doing well that know, let people know that they care and that we're still there. Um, and some of, and then as things open up, as churches start opening up and, and maintaining that social distancing and keeping people safe when they re meet, I think those are really good things. What do you think churches will have to do? Cause I know, um, you know, from what I understand, um, some of these mental health issues are kind of just being maybe fermented, so to speak. Um, and we might see them progress after COVID. So what are might more so after COVID? What, I don't know, what are some things that you think churches and just maybe even organizations in general could be thinking about more post-COVID regarding um, mental health? That's really an interesting topic because, um, you know, I, I just said how many people come to church for, uh, answers and most churches aren't equipped to do that they um so there's organizations like the national alliance for mental illness they have a whole program on um you know how to um how for for church communities how faith communities how to um to reach out to people that are suffering with a mental illness and and their families because oftentimes they're they get very socially isolated and there's a lot of stigma attached to mental illness so that um, I think that where churches need to go post COVID and there's been a struggle with that before that even is to, um, to be more sensitive to uh, the mental health illness issues that are out there and um, be well, be, provide a welcoming community for those people. I know some of the things that um, we've done at St. Patrick's where we have our behavioral health committee and um, we are actually have worked with a couple other churches in um, North Scottsdale that have similar programs and so we, we it's our our group is an interfaith group and um, so that that's one of the the things we try to do like edu for education that's our big thing right now is like educating people about um, mental health and mental illness and um, different aspects of that so that's one way that churches I think can help. We also have support groups and a lot of churches do. You know, they'll have like ones for AA and um, Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotic Anonymous. And um, actually um, that National Alliance for Mental Illness is called NAMI. And um, they have support groups that they offer in churches. And they also have programs for uh, family members uh, that are, people that have family members with um, 
mental illness have support. They have support groups for that. They, they offer and they church, they use churches for uh, a lot of times for their meeting places for that. So that I think those are some of the ways that, um, that churches can um, help um, increase awareness and be more sensitive to those with mental illness. So basically like, you know, just, you know, awareness and creating space for community. Yeah. Right. And, you know, and, and I know some, some communities even have, you know, will have groups within the parish to help support. There's something called Stevens Ministry does a lot of that where you walk with a person that's having different issues. It doesn't have to be mental illness. It can be grief and all different things. So there's, there's a whole big area that churches can work on. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, Sandy, this has been a, um, a fun conversation, learning a lot from you. Are you ready for the fire, fire round questions? Though? I am ready. Okay, here we go. So um, I have, let's see, one, two, three, four fire round questions for you. Just answer, you know, as quick as you can. Um, here we go. Um, what person do you think lived out the values of Jesus best, dead or alive? Dr. Tom Dooley. Explain more. Explain more. I don't. Well, this, he was my idol from when I was in high school. He was uh, he graduated from the University of Notre Dame, and he was a physician. And he went into the um, like Laos and Cambodia and cared for the. Um, he set up clinics there, and he actually um, he ended up dying of cancer, but young. But it was just to me that that whole social justice and outreach that it actually formed a lot of my. Um, opinions for the rest of my life i think so. wow that's really cool i like it uh, cool um sandy so what's your um favorite method of prayer right now right now i'm using one um it's called franciscan it's on from the franciscan media and it's called pause and pray and it's just like it's like a minute reading every morning and uh it kind of starts my day in and i kind of think about it during the day that's you know i pray other ways too but that's kind of a new one i picked up during lent and i um I found that it's um, it's a little bit different, and I like it. Nice, I like that. So, if you were pope for a day, what would you do? I would I'd increase the leadership role of women in the church. Nice, nice. Okay, Sandy, this is the last one. This is the most um, the the mo the toughest question uh, you might hear all day. Um, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a tootsie pop? Oh gosh, that's too hard. I never liked the tux. I sucked the taco. Sucked them. It takes a half hour to get to the chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like if you were to lick it one by one, that'd take a whole day. I think it would. I, that's way too long. That's way too long to get to the chocolate. I'll, yeah, I'll go or, or bubble gum, whatever's inside, right? Right. Oh, I don't like bubble gum. I go for the chocolate. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Sandy, uh, this has been a good conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time. Um, really appreciate it. Well, thank you for asking me and have a great day. You too. All right. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening. Okay. Bye.